Okay, hello there and welcome to another Senior Times Wine Podcast with me, Mairead Robinson. Now today I'm delighted to be joined with Jenna Brewer-Kruger from Springfield Estate in South Africa. It's my great pleasure to chat to somebody from this exciting wine producing country and I'm looking forward to hearing all about it and of course tasting some exciting wines. So do sit down, pour yourself a glass of something nice and join us for today's conversation. You know, there is a lot more to wine from South Africa than just Pinotage and Chenin Blanc, as we're about to discover. So, Jenna, hello, and I'm thrilled to be chatting to you, and thank you so much for joining me. So, maybe we could start by just telling me a little bit about yourself and what brought you to the world of wine. So, yeah, my name's Jenna Brevet-Kruger, as you said, and I am from Springfield Estate, which is in Robertson in the Western Cape of South Africa. Um, Springfield is my family's farm. So it's been in our family for over 100 years. It's been in our family since 1898. So I am the fifth generation to be on the farm. And as a result, uh, being in the wine industry is sort of in my bones or it, it was a logical conclusion. Uh, we've, my sister and I always say that if, if someone works so hard like my father has done and my aunt has done and they hand you a business, you know, an opportunity to, to be a part of it and uh, you say no, then it's, 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 it's not a very wise decision. So um, my brother and sister are also part of the family business. We, we are, all three of us are, are working for the farm at the moment. And it's amazing. It's amazing to, to be in the countryside, to be in nature and to work with your family every single day. It's a, it's a big blessing. So that's, that's how I got into wine. I was born into it essentially, but, um, did some things before I worked for magazines before then. And, um, essentially my dad came to me one day and said, so when are you going to join the farm? They're underpaying you. And I said, okay, great. I'll resign and I'll, I'll come to the farm. And then they gave me a 500 rand increase. So I'm still being underpaid. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's excellent. i it's very interesting that it's a family business. So you're working with your siblings and your dad, you're now your dad, I believe is the winemaker. Is that right? That is correct. So he is uh, in the cellar and on the farm. So my brother and sister are both qualified winemakers and they, they are working with him as well. So he does all the you know final blends and determines everything that happens in the cellar and on the farm. And then I'm more in the marketing and sales side. So my aunt Jeanette, uh, who in a previous life was a dentist, um, she is my brother, my father's sister. So she works more in the office and does all the marketing and sales. So I work alongside her in that. So your dad is obviously very passionate about what he does, like like most winemakers. Um, you get on very well anyway as a family and you get on well with the winemaker. By the way, you, do you know, um, uh, somebody asked me recently, what is the difference between God and a winemaker? The answer to that is God doesn't think he's a winemaker. They can get quite precious about what they do and very passionate about what they do. And I'm just thinking it might be, it must be very dramatic, you know, the, for your siblings and your dad to be winemaking and for the whole family to be involved. So I'm sure it's a lot of fun and a few sparks flying now and then. No, Definitely. My, uh, my mum's not part of the business and thank goodness for her because I can complain to one person at least. Oh, there is but this one neutral bystander. Um, but, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think especially my dad's an idealist and a perfectionist at the same time. So he has, 
the way that he wants things to happen and how he expects things to happen. And he's always about 10 steps ahead of the rest of us. So we all play catch up for most of the time. But uh, I mean, they they say a family business is the best of times and the worst of times, but the the good times definitely outweigh the bad. We are a team and we've got each other's backs and it's, it's amazing to, to be able to be a part of something bigger that's, you know, yours to, to hand down to a future generation one day as well. And seriously, all joking aside, uh, the, the wines are fantastic. Um, I know your agent here, Classic Drinks, bring, brings in quite a range. And I've had the taste of a few of them. And they are stunning wines. I see your strap line on the bottles is made on honour, which is, uh, is kind of lovely. So where did that come from? Do you want the marketing story or the real story? The, the, well, essentially, the, the reason why, why we, our motto is made on honor is because you only have one name and one reputation. And if you don't put your honor and your best into every aspect of your wine, into every bottle that you make, what's the point? It, it takes one bad review to, to knock down a brand. Um, you can get a hundred good ones, but it's the bad one that you that you remember or that stands out for you. So we really do put our honor and our everything into into every bottle that we make. Um, the funny story of how we came about it is my dad is an avid flyer. He's a pilot. So it was written on his first plane that he got all the way from Texas. It said made on honor. So my mum my likes to joke that it's a grammar fault that's been bothering her for the past 25 years. But <laughs> It is interesting and it's eye-catching. Um, anyway, back to the wines. As I said in the, in the beginning, you have a lovely range of wines, two of them we're going to have a taste of now that you mentioned particularly. One is Albarino, which I was very surprised at. Um, obviously, it's a Spanish grape. It's a beautiful grape. Um, so I'm going to pour a little drop of this into the glass and have a little taste. And maybe you tell me about it. This is 100% Albarino. Are you the only winery in South Africa growing Albarino? So we are the second producer in South Africa to have Albarino. I think there are now about four or five that are, that are making Albarino. Yeah, I think there's, there's been a great increase in, in alternative grape varieties. Yes. Um, it's definitely been growing in South Africa. So we first discovered Albarino when my father and my aunt went on holiday to Uruguay. So best part about a family business is every now and again, you have to go on holiday together to remind each other why you went into business together. So, so they went on holiday to Uruguay to check out the winemaking scene there and to see, you know, how things are done um, in, in South America. And they have two very different styles of traveling. So my aunt and I are very similar. We like to have a printed out itinerary with booking confirmations before we even leave the country. <laughs> whereas, whereas my father sort of drives around and at five o'clock in the afternoon says, well, maybe we should find somewhere to stay tonight. So sometimes you find gems and sometimes you are five people in an Ibis budget near an airport. So you never know. Um, so I think my dad won the argument that day and they were waiting for their guest house room to be readied. And the lady, they asked the lady at the guest house if there was somewhere that they could, you know, a cafe or somewhere that they could wait. So she suggested they go for a cup cup of coffee and it was being five in the afternoon, way too late for coffee. It was wine time. So they asked in, you know, broken Spanish and very much hand gestures if if there was any cold white wine. And this bottle was produced from the back 
and they didn't even see the label. They, you know, had the first glass and it was the most delicious, most amazing glass of wine they'd had, you know, in, in years. And it, it could have been because they were in a hot car together for 12 hours, um, might have been that. But after they found out what it was, it turned out it was Alberino and it was the first time they'd ever tasted it. So the love affair started there and they spent the rest of the the trip um, in, you know, trying more and more different types of Albarino. It is grown quite widely in, in Uruguay. And when they got back to South Africa, they asked uh, the, the local vine nursery, we'd like to order 10,000 Albarino vines, please. And the, the nursery was Alba what? They'd, ne they'd never heard of it before. So they started looking at getting the plant material into the country in vitro and you have to bring it in through quarantine and all of that. And we fortunately found out that Newton Johnson, which is another South African producer, was about six months ahead of us with the whole quarantine paperwork story. And um, we're not very fond of paperwork, so we, we left them to that. Mm -hmm. And they very kindly gave us 20 cuttings. So it wasn't even 20 vines, it was 20 cuttings that they, that they gave us once the, their vines came out of, out of quarantine. So that had to be grafted and multiplied and it took us three years just to plant one vineyard. But we now have about 14 hectares planted. So we quite invested in Albarino as a, as a variety on the farm. And yeah, we love it. It's sort of a love child between Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay for us. It's got that beautiful acidity and that freshness that you, that you get in a Sauvignon. But it's a bit more full-bodied and, and, you know, richer on the palate. It has great character. Great character. Mm. And, and you can taste the minerality. You can taste the fruit. I actually love Alberino, um, but I've never had one that was made anywhere but Spain. So that is very interesting. Um, and it's great that uh, people here in Ireland would be really surprised that they can drink an Alberino from, from South Africa. Tell me before we move on to the other one. Um, I didn't ask you how, how large the, the, the winery is and if you have different terroirs for different grapes. So, um, like I was saying earlier, it's, it's a family farm. So it's sort of, we, we took it as it came. So the, the size is sort of, it's big enough for us. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's about 150 hectares under vine. Uh, we're in a, quite a flat area. So we're able to, to farm most of the farm quite intensively. And um, different terroirs, we have got about three different general areas yeah. the top half of the farm is quite rich in very chalky soil it's very calcareous rich soil that actually comes from prehistoric uh, termite hills that are dead like about ten thousand years ago and we they're generally about the size of a suburban plot and we plow that back up and work that back into the soil so very rich in calcium which is uh, limestone rich great for chardonnays we plant a lot of pinot noir there as well and it's one of the reasons why robertson is considered the valley of wine and roses and also really well known for racehorses because of the calcium that gives him such strong bones so uh, that's the the one third of the farm the second third you could say is very very rocky soil so it's about 70 percent quartzite rock and um, rich red soils as well amazing for our sauvignon we plant a lot of sauvignon and then also cabernet sauvignon there which gives an incredible concentration just really great extraction in the wine and then we have um, alluvial river soils closer to the banks of the Breda river so that's softer sandier soils you get wines with a bit more elegance that comes from there so yeah, it's interesting. We've got 
two Sauvignon Blancs as well, which is a direct comparison between the two terroirs. They're made in the same way and it's, they're just planted in different soil. And it's so interesting to taste the difference between the two. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic to have such beautiful and, and, and diverse white wines from South Africa. I see you have, um, I've also been fortunate to taste um, the Sauvignon Blanc Life from Stone which is absolutely gorgeous at the 2020 vintage, which is beautiful. And then mm. there's another one which has an interesting story to it, which is a Chardonnay um, made with wild yeast. Now, yes. before, before we move on to the other wine, I'm, I'm fascinated by this idea of the wild, wild yeast. Um, maybe you could explain a bit about that so people could realize the difference between commercial yeast, buying in commercial yeast, and actually using the wild yeast from the, from the grapes, from the skin of the grapes. Yeah, so, so most commercially made wines are made with commercial yeast, which you buy from a lab. Um, it's cultured, it's similar to think of it as the packets of instant yeast that you buy to make bread. Uh, compared to wild yeast, which is then the sourdough of the <laughs> of the wine world. Um, so commercial yeast is very efficient. It, it's designed to ferment grape juice into alcohol. It goes from point A to point B very efficiently, very quickly, as you know, as quick and as cleanly as possible. Um, whereas native yeast or wild yeast is a bit more of a meandering soul. It sort of walks a longer path. And that longer path that it walks, it sort of picks up a bit more different characteristics, more wisdom along the way. You might find that there's one culture of yeast that will only work for a week and then it dies off. And then there's another culture that only starts working a week later. So you get a lot of different um, complexities and, and a lot more interesting characteristics in wines that are made using native yeast. Um, essentially a vine doesn't know that you've planted it in a vineyard in a straight line with trellising. It, it thinks it's in a forest. So <laughs> it tries to, you know, grow as tall as possible and make delicious sweet grapes to attract birds, to, to spread its seed further away from, from the mother plant. Mm. And should the bird not come, it has to reuse these grapes that it makes. And it actually forms the waxy layer of the bloom on the, on the outside of the grape skin, which then traps the yeast. And that yeast then breaks down the skin and breaks down the sugars into a very nutrient-rich vinegar, which drips onto the, to the roots of the plant and you know, gives it nutrition and, and food for the next you know, harvest or the next fruiting season. Um, so, so we try and capture that halfway through and harness Mother Nature. And she's quite mercurial in temperament and doesn't always like to play along. So our natural yeast fermentation is, is quite risky and it, it doesn't always work. The wild yeast Chardonnay has about a 70% success rate. So uh, we don't add the normal sulfurs that you would do in, in, the, in the cellar to, you know, not kill the yeasts. And it takes a lot longer to ferment. It's a bit slower. It's about three to six months of fermentation compared to 14 days for commercial fermentation. But when it does work, it's such a delicious glass of wine that you take the risk all over again the next year. I think it's fabulous because it gives such personality to the wine, doesn't it? It's very natural, uh, wild is the right word, but it, it gives a, a certain personality that you just don't have with commercial yeasted wines. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. 
plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash senior times. Moving along, the other wine we want to taste, I'm very eager to taste, um, very unusual one, which you make up with Pinot Gris, Sauvignon Blanc and Similian, and it's called Miss Lucy, and it's got a picture of a little orange fish. Tell me about <laughs> Miss Lucy. So Miss Lucy is not named after a person. I really thought when I joined the family business, I'd get a wine named after myself, and I'm still in therapy for it. I'm getting through it day by day. We're getting there. Um, Miss Lucy is actually the local nickname for the red stump nose, which is the fish on the label. It's very similar to what you might get in the Northern Hemisphere as a red snapper. And my family is obsessed with fishing. I think my dad considers himself a fisherman first and a winemaker second. Um, And really, you know, we go to the ocean every weekend. We have a family beach house about an hour and a half from here. Um, Go fishing every weekend. I mean, all of us go diving and spend a lot of time by the by the ocean so we decided we needed to make a wine to go with all the seafood that we were eating and it was a complete celebration and a tribute to to the ocean and to those nostalgia filled summer holidays where you know you spend the entire day on the beach and just roll with salty salty hair and sandy legs up to dinner um you know when there's fish scales in the bath at all times you don't know how it gets onto you so we we decided we needed to make wine as the perfect combination for seafood and that's how the miss lucy story originated um springfield's an estate which means that all our grapes have to be grown on the farm itself and it has to be made in our cellars so we can't buy in grapes or wine from anywhere else so when we decided we wanted to do this blend we first had to plant the actual vines for the blend wait eight years for them to mature and then we played with the blend for about four years so we started off with a classic bordeaux white of just sauvignon and semillon but we felt it was missing something so we started playing around with pinot gris which gives it a beautiful texture and a beautiful spiciness and it has now come to a point where pinot gris is our often our majority blending partner so it really is something unique and something different and I don't think you get a blend like this anywhere else oh it's beautiful I'm 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 tasting it here it's um it's it's quite a unique blend and it's absolutely full of fruit flavors it's gorgeous it's funny because we always think of white wine with fish I love cold white wine. I love seafood and fish. I would live on the two things forever. But what I thought was funny when I was checking out your wines, most people, most winemakers, uh, wine companies will say, will suggest foods to go with the wine. They might say 
try this with shellfish, with uh, cheeses as an aperitif, but you have some novel suggestions <laughs> to go with your wine. I saw, I was looking at some of them, um, the usual suggestions, shellfish, cheese, charcuterie, but you suggest um, try, enjoy, try enjoying, these, enjoying these wines on a Tuesday. <laughs> no, it's any day wine. wine. <laughs> this wine would go very well on a date. <laughs> or this well, this wine will pair very well with the balmy evening. Or my favourite one was um, this wine goes very well with friends who think they don't like Chardonnay. <laughs> that is true. The wild yeast is a gateway drug to the world of Chardonnay. I can promise you that. Yeah. Drink it with someone who doesn't like Chardonnay, they'll be like, oh, this is quite nice. Um, no, I think. <laughs> Wine is a very scary topic for a lot of people. And I think that it's so formal and people get so technical and they like, oh, this one's residual sugar is this much. So you, no one cares. We just want to drink wine and be merry and be convivial. And I think it's as much about a feeling as it is about what it technically pairs with and what a sommelier thinks that this wine is the perfect pairing for. If you want to drink a wine that changes your day around, then you, you can drink it whenever with whatever. It, 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 it doesn't need to be served with grilled snapper and a velouté of this. Or, uh, I agree with you, but it's very rare you see that kind of thing on a bottle. But mind you, uh, uh, one of my earlier uh, podcasts was with um, a French sommelier, Alain Brard, a, a wonderful sommelier, who um, gave a mind of information about wine and what goes with what. And I asked him towards the end of the, um, the conversation, I said, you know, give me, you know, like your, your death row meal, if you like, you know, your perfect food and your perfect wine. And typical romantic Frenchman, of course, he says, the, the perfect wine is when you are with the one you love. <laughs> and really, he's saying the same thing. It's the whole atmosphere. It's uh, enjoying it in a certain environment. Um, and, you know, as much as the food, the climate and the atmosphere is the same. But anyway, that's a great story with the Miss Lucy. Um, and it's a fabulous wine. And they're all available here in Ireland. They're, they're, as I said, there's six, seven different wines that we have here. Uh, there are two reds. Um, mostly you seem to work mostly with the whites, which are absolutely stunning, but you do a very lovely Cabernet Sauvignon as well. And then there is this red here, which is very interesting, which is called The Work of Time. Where did that title come from? Um, well, we, <laughs> we were considering calling it The Waste of Time at one point because we <laughs> took so long to find a name. <laughs> but uh, The Work of Time, essentially, we started to realize that no one has sellers um, maybe in Europe it's different, but in South Africa, we all stay in smaller houses or, you know, modern built houses that don't have underground cellars or wine storage or restaurants don't have cellars anymore where they can keep a wine for 10, 15 years before they put it on a wine list. So we found people were drinking wines younger and younger and the wines in the market were becoming younger and younger as well. And we decided that we needed to make a wine or we wanted to make a Bordeaux blend and we wanted to have it perfectly aged by the time we released it. So with the work of time, we've done all the hard work for you. It spends two years in French oak barrique and then another four years in bottle before we release it. So we put that investment of time in the wine as well. And you can be assured that by the time it reaches your home, if you receive it for a gift or if you're giving it to someone as a gift or just drinking it on a Tuesday, it, it is perfectly aged and, it, and it's ready for you to open and you don't have to worry about 
you know, that you're opening it too young or that you haven't aged it correctly. Cause that's also a terrifying thing. We get so many people that say, Oh, I've aged the wine for 10 years and I opened it and it's horrible. And <laughs> you find out that they've used it as a doorstop or put it next on top of their fridge or somewhere. So um, it's, it's as much protecting us as it is protecting the wine at the end of the day. But yeah, we've done, we've done the hard work for you. Uh, it did, also took us about two or three years just to settle on a name. So probably an ode to that in the name as well. Um, no, it's a, be- it's a beautiful wine and it's an interesting name. All the titles, all the wording is good. Um, but that's, I would think, I would look on that as a wine for a special occasion, a, a special dinner, definitely. Um, it is very much a stunning wine. So how do you see, before we finish up, all, all of these wines, and as I say, they're all available in, in, in Ireland through, through um, off licenses and different restaurants. How do you see the whole business going forward, like the wine industry in South Africa and specifically Springfield Estate? I mean, there's so much going on at the moment between COVID and politics and finance. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a changing time. Or it's a difficult time for all of us. How do you see your your vineyard, your, your, your winery um, growing over the years? Well, um, I think it's, it's good to mention that the South African wine industry is under an immense amount of pressure at the moment. And it would be, we, we've been so buoyed by support internationally, um, even, you know, across the world, a lot of people are campaigning to drink South African wines and to support the industry. It really is quite beleaguered at the moment. We are on 23 weeks of lost sales due to alcohol prohibition in the country. That's for 2020 and now 21. We're in the middle of, can't even tell what number alcohol ban, fourth or fifth. It's, it's, you know, it's as regular as day and night. So there is, um, no, so there is no domestic market. It's all export. At the moment, there's yeah. no domestic market whatsoever. There's a complete ban on alcohol and it's been going on for three weeks while we're in our third wave. And last year we had 20 weeks of no zero local trade, um, also from alcohol bans. We are still able to export. So we are so thankful and grateful for that. Um, and then also just in general, our, you know, the, the cost of production is increasing incredibly. I think this past year alone in 2021, we've had 16% increase in electricity costs, 15% increase in wages, 8% excise duty increases. So it's, it, it's quite challenging, I think, um, for, for most businesses, be it a winery, be it a grape grower, be it a big corporation. Um, but at the same time, we, we're very lucky in that we've worked really, really hard to establish a, a brand that is reputable and that has, you know, wines of quality and wines that are made with honor. Um, so in times like these, we do find that people tend to stick to what they know or what they can trust. So we're very fortunate in that our customers are really loyal and are supporting us fantastically during this time. Um, I think going forward, it's going to be interesting because there's definitely a surplus of wine in South Africa with the lost trade. So it, it's going to be challenging to try and encourage producers not to undercut the market or try and get rid of wine for, you know, for next to nothing. And then it, we've worked so long to try and increase prices internationally. I think after... Um, Apartheid in 94, South Africa really had a little bit of a chip on its shoulder and sort of underestimated itself. I think there was a very good study done once about the average cost of a 95-point wine. And I think for South African wines, it was 
$20 or less that you could get a 95.1, whereas if it was a European wine, you'd be paying $80 for the, for the equivalent. Yeah, sure. So South African wines have definitely underestimated themselves and we're working really hard to try and increase that perception or, you know, improve that perception internationally. So I think that is definitely something that as an industry, we're going to try and continue working on. There's a very big, brand South Africa movement going on but the the surplus of wine is worrying in that a lot of the people that make cheaper wines or bag and box or are selling bulk wines are going to try and undercut the market in that way so that's something that the industry needs to try and, and fight against but in general we we keep going we've got no choice this is this is where we are. We, you know, we've, we've established an entire business based on a geographical location. So um, we keep soldiering on. We're going forward. We, you know, every year spring comes and every year there's new growth in the vineyard and there's new life and you have to, you have to keep going on. So that's what we're doing. We're soldiering on. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I have to say I'm very impressed with the wines. I think they're absolutely fabulous. Um, there's so much challenging uh, factors facing the wine industry and um, climate change of course we didn't even get to speak about um, so there are a lot of factors there and it is a very challenging time so all I can say is thank you so much for joining me and giving us all that information your wines are absolutely fabulous and uh, I for one would be very happy to um, to promote the Springfield Estate wines from South Africa so Jenna thank you so much I'm going to finish this lovely glass now cheers and I'll have to speak again <laughs> thank bye you bye. so much thank you. and cheers it's a Thursday so it's a good day for for Alvarino <laughs> <laughs> excellent bye bye and look forward to seeing you again yes thank you so much <laughs>